Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who says hubba bubba to the siren of the Strategic Scientific Reserve. It's Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? My hidden talents know no bounds. The Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek for episode 207, Monsters, is brought to you by Joe Manfredi's Grappa, the original grape ape. In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest the need to know. Pete, where shall we begin? We begin, Matt, outside studios. And the gate there opens. A woman clad in all black, wearing a veil, is holding a press conference when we soon find out this is Whitney Frost, who is thanking her fans and her dear studio family for their unwavering support revealing last night at midnight, Matt, her beloved husband, along with several colleagues, perished in the sea. Peggy and Sousa look on as uh, Whitney explains that their boat sank off of Catalina Island. An odd narrative moment at Anvil Studios, Pete, where Whitney apparently is directing much of her commentary directly to Peggy herself. Uh, Peggy looking on, just a slightly weird presentation for my take, uh, but nonetheless, uh, whilst there, after uh, Whitney goes back and the, the, the studio gates clank shut, uh, Peggy nicely expositions what happened last week, including Dottie still being alive and the transponder link to the necklace being still kind of an option uh, if they can fix it so that they can track Dottie. There's also a reference for uh, plans for Susa and Carter to you know, talk, Pete, about emotions and stuff, the sort of things that English women and 1940s men don't really try and, you know, don't really like to get and talk about, but they're going to talk. Yeah, and with that, Daniel drives away, and uh, Vernon Masters, Matt, drives home the point. Indeed, he takes out his My First Torturer kit. Uh, (laughs) It's a great charismatic rapport that he has uh as he is threatening Dottie in a in a basement location because we haven't had enough uh basements and garages uh thus far in the show uh he's grinningly threatening her and she says his toolkit will do nothing other than bore her not a metaphor but it could be yeah bore her to tears no less he explains the tale of Ilsa Koch the uh uh witch of Buchenwald uh, who is not, in fact, Vernon Masters' mother, but was the wife of a concentration camp commander uh, who liked to kill and then skin her prisoners, uh, that he interrogated her and in less than 24 hours told uh, him everything there was. And uh, with his pliers out, um, she proceeds to explain that she's pulled out her own teeth, her own nails, her own hair, burned her own flesh with a blowtorch. She's no Nazi harlot, and he is wasting her time. I don't mean to uh, 
buzz past the the true reference uh, to uh, to Ilsa Koch, but I can't help but notice that within our our slightly more rosy and enjoyable fictional narrative here, the effect is this: for Dottie saying uh, for Dottie saying that line that she's no Nazi harlot, it it makes Dottie worse by association. And uh, it's it's smart writing here to do that. Again, not trying to play light with the, the, the real reference that they're making, but the result in our TV show is uh, is just a reminder that Dottie is really, really bad news, even though we're kind of rooting for her. And I think it only ups the ante given the blonde monster on the leash that she refers to in the next couple sentences that she is so frightened of Whitney Frost is uh, an explanation really for us as the viewer of, you know, how terrible this uh, zero matter has uh, made her as a threat. But Pete, writer Brandon Easton really shining here with, uh, with the end of the scene here as, uh, as Masters injects Dottie and she just kind of takes this moment, injects her with truth serum that is, and she uh, just kind of sighs and calls it mother's milk. Like mother's milk, baby. Um, Wilkes and Anna are uh, working towards finishing the containment chamber so that they can make him corporeal again. And uh, there's discussion that uh, it'll either work or blow out the L.A. power grid. Um, He continues to sporadically fade away there, but uh, they get him to stay. And uh, as they're finishing up here, we get uh, Peggy coming in who uh, has a discussion with Jarvis as far as the transponder, whether it's repaired. He explains that having spent uh, some time around Howard Stark, you learn a lot about electrical engineering. And uh, she makes a quip about the clap. Oh, my. She does, Pete? How how did I miss a reference to the clap? She did. He said that, uh, you know, he picked up a lot of things. And uh, (laughs) she said that... uh, Luckily, not the clap. <laughs> this is true. It wasn't this a is... 10 o'clock hour, Matt. <laughs> it's true, Pete. I think it's worth mentioning that this episode, which aired directly after the previous episode, we have a super, super long first act here. One built with potentially uh, great hooks with which to end a teaser act and do a title card, uh, whether it's the mother's milk line, whether it's uh, the the underlining that's about to happen that Dottie is uh, uh, Peggy's responsibility and so forth. I think, Pete, they were kind of going for a bit of a Super Bowl sensibility, extending the audience by saying, don't change that dial. We have a jam-packed first act that's going to be supersized. There were a lot of places to cut it. Jarvis explains here that they have not had a signal from the necklace. It could have been deactivated or destroyed or out of range, as Peggy points out. They need to go to higher elevation. Uh, And Jarvis, with a red herring here, he believes that Mr. Stark has a dirigible in the pool house. But it's strangely Jason Wilkes who asks why. Why for a Russian spy murderer uh, are we going this far? Uh, that she will kill them at the first moment she's able. Peggy agrees, and though uh, she says that Dottie is despicable, she was there under her orders, again, her honorable past. Um, but uh, Wilkes is pretty upset here. 
Uh, he says this is uh, about saving yourself. And she, again, uh, points out that Dottie was her responsibility. She won't abandon her or anybody to Frost. Um, and he points out the option of the kill switch with the poison that was explained in the previous episode. Um, it's at this point that, uh, you know, she acknowledges that Jason is under considerable stress here. Um, and it's not about death. I, I think we get the idea, Matt, and we'll have to talk about this a little bit in our top secret segment, you know, with the zero matter and his exposure to this other side. And we now know that Whitney and he both exposed to the same thing, yet manifesting different powers. Is there something affecting him emotionally on that other side? Indeed, certainly uh, grist for the theory mill in a bit. Uh, and and with Jason's mentioning of uh, wanting to activate the kill switch uh, on the necklace, which we're told is on a different circuit and a different frequency, uh, there is the foretelling of worse things to come. The story returns to Dottie uh, and Masters, the latter of which has emptied a truth serum vial, and they're still chummy, and she hasn't broken. Just great visual, great writing here, great kind of just you know transition. We don't get to see the in between of him pumping her full of more of the the, the liquid. It's all uh, it's all kind of implied there. We get a little recap of last season, highlighting Dottie as the assassin without a country, which is. Uh, not the first time they've mentioned it this season, so mm -hmm. so maybe something to keep an eye out for uh, for future developments. And Pete, Kurtwood Smith again sizzles. He's just believable in a fundamental way that a professional, longtime pro actor can just maximize. Yeah, from bringing up Dr. Fenhoff to beginning his part of the continuation of this scene by rolling up the sleeves and the menace that, that oozes out of uh, Bridget Regan's Dottie at the same time, you know, that that you're, aren't you sweet and, you know, all this other stuff. This is just two pros going pound for pound in this. And uh, to come back to the idea that, um, you know, she's as good as dead to Russia. She's a girl without a country, an assassin without a target, although she says she could think of a target. Um, it's the whole deal that uh, Peggy, she believes she has a friend in Peggy that it's pathetic, he points out. And it's at this point that Joseph Manfredi uh, pops up again, requests vernon's presence here and we know who he's requesting on behalf of indeed she wants him she uh whitney of course and pete just a moment here to acknowledge the manfredi role in this episode is not is not one of of great splash uh but i think it's so wise to have gotten ken marino for this role just because he carries a certain gravitas with him especially since the character is a little uh, you know, it was a little stereotypical kind of yes. with, you know, just that 1940s kind of goon, eh? Um, two he things. makes it work. The, the, the gravitas, we might say, <laughs> because he pauses, you know, this important discussion between a semi-otherworldly being now in, uh, in Whitney Frost and a, a high-up muckety-muck in the SSR and the FBI in Vernon Masters to offer them you know, stereotypical refreshment. 
and uh, the the relationship and rapport he has going back with Whitney Frost that was the best thing to come out of his previous scene with her before he rearranged the guy's face. Ayo! Uh, but here we are topside, and uh, and Whitney tells Masters that it is Masters' job to get the uranium rods, and that uh, Manfredi is Manfredi is running security now. And uh, I just thought it was a nice uh, orienting of the audience to the plan as it stands now. Oftentimes, Pete, we're kind of quick. Maybe it's me more than you, but kind of quick to criticize. You know, oh look, this is exposition, or this is spelling out the plan before it happens, or whatever. This was nice to just say, here we are, still in the beginning of the seventh episode, three to go after this, here is the state of things right now. And to, uh, you know, bury the the subtlety of um, Frost dangling her hand towards Masters here, the idea of the touch, and to go from that to her going into the basement here, the makeshift dungeon, if you will, and to get what she needs, the woman's touch, Matt, out of Dottie. Uh, really, really effective, again, coming back to that menace, that threat. Oh, and, and it's a fantastic scene with Dottie and Whitney in the basement there. Uh, Dottie blithely saying that uh, that Whitney uh, will need more makeup for Hollywood, you know, on account of the crack on her face, and uh, Whitney says that they have a lot in common, and then Dottie seems to suddenly be melting and sympathizing, and Bridget Regan oversells it just enough so we in the audience are clear on things, we're in on the joke. It's a really wonderful and subtle job that she does, uh, specifically that Dottie is trying to play Whitney, and uh, then... You know, we've, we've kind of had this elevation where, you know, reference to reference to uh, the 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 uh, Nazi woman, uh, Dottie is worse than Whitney now coming back with worse than that, saying that they're not in the same boat nor the same ocean. When Dottie gulps with fear, you know, you're in trouble, Pete. Absolutely. And to break an act there and to come back with the shot coming out of Whitney's mouth and the. The venom juice, if you will, the zero matter coursing inside there and the, the scream um, finally to have her sobbing and, uh, you know, to to crack in terms of the interrogation that they were trying to get, that Peggy was trying to get a sample of Whitney's blood, of whatever's inside of you, that they have it now, that they need it for uh, Jason Wilkes. Um, the uh, the new boyfriend, as she's called there, uh, and discussion of how um, Dottie knows that he's like a ghost. And uh, we get a little science there, Matt. The uh, molecular intangibility. Fascinating. Pete, he ain't no ghost. And the story moves, though, to the ecto-containment unit, which they're going to try and use in order to recorporealize Jason. Uh, the switch, just a lone switch, Pete, because he builds it, Pete. He's like a future or, or, or I guess a pre-Apple guy. He's keeping it simple. You turn it on with one switch. Come on. It's an ecto-containment unit to help <laughs> help harness somebody whose body is floating in between the dimensions and the ether. It's one switch. Come on now. Uh, he gets bathed in purple light and then given that dark matter injection. Uh, and Pete, he drops 
and then throbs about first. Then he hits the floor. There's a thud because he's touching the floor for the first time, except for like every time he, you know, walked. But hey, Pete, it worked. <laughs> and yeah, not just a hand from uh, Peggy, but how about a pair of lips? Oh, absolutely. He uh, definitely that, you know, first the squeeze of the hand, then the smoochy, smooch, smooch. Pete. Our reaction is Anna's reaction. An astonished gasp. Uh, we're happy. You know, Jarvis looking away. Again, James Darcy maximizing subtle comedic effort here. Um, but everyone's happy. Pete, he's hungry. Hungry enough for a Hungarian feast from Anna, <laughs> who apparently is a questionable cook, says Jarvis, who, you know, pinky up. I think it was the Hungarian food that was uh, questionable. <laughs> As opposed to what? As opposed to her cooking of it. Oh, that, see, that's interesting. I kind of read it as like, oh, you know, she, uh, I don't know. Regardless, it was it was so terribly Jarvis to, to be polite enough until she's out of the room to just give a little eye well, roll. I think given what, you know, how, how this episode ends, it, it only resonates even more that he, you know, he's so smitten isn't the word he's so devoted to his wife anna that he wouldn't dare criticize her cooking he would did he would criticize the type of cuisine ah fair enough well pete now for this next scene i want you just to just to relax i want you just to just to kind of kind of kind of i'm going to take out my clipboard here i want you to just relax on the couch okay we're going to do a little psychoanalysis uh, psychoanalysis here peggy calls susa and the story moves to Sousa's office. Sousa calls her his mother, either because Freud was right or because Masters is there. It or appears to be the latter, at least on the surface, but that's a story for another day. But Pete, what information does mother, I mean Peggy, share with Sousa? Well, Peggy explains that uh, they have located Dottie, that she is in the San Clarita Valley near a town called Newhall. Wilkes is back as well. And uh, then the charade continues. Uh, indeed it does. He, he concludes the phone call with her, uh, ostensibly Mama. Um, it, it, Masters here acts like Sousa is definitely ready to play ball, and Kurtwood Smith here is just so charming, so assuring. You want to leave all the bad stuff about him behind and just say, "Wow, Masters is so wonderful. I want to, I want to, you know, kind of be in his orbit, kind of thing." Um, what an addition Kurtwood Smith is here. Uh, but the story returns back to Stark Manor. And uh, Jarvis wondering if the reappearance of the homing signal is inconvenient. Peggy says it isn't, Pete. Rather, it's a trap. It's a trap! From inside Stark Manor, after the last act, to outside stately Stark Manor, we have Jarvis who has a gizmo. He calls it a jitterbug because it's 1947, Pete. It's a non-lethal concussive device. I call it Chekhov's jitterbug. Yes, and uh, it could potentially save their bacon, which uh, Peggy is quite fond of. Indeed. Ooh, could go for a BLT right now. Uh, all the aspects of the jitterbug are displayed for we, the viewing audience. The code and everything, we know how it works. You put in the code, it pushes things down in, in what I spied to be slightly less than 170 degrees, but that's okay. By the way, Pete... 
Uh, Peggy saying that Howard should have uh, sprung for for the rest of the the degrees of the circle. Uh, she might need to brush up on what in Britain they call the maths, uh, because we certainly wouldn't want to blast the non-lethal concussive device at ourselves, now would we? Probably not. I think it was just a joke to lavish upon the man with uh, the ability to buy anything. But the result is clear that if they unleash this in the 170 degrees of their assailants, they will, Matt, cut a rug. Indeed. I love it when they talk like they're all they're all thug, yo. Uh, but Pete, there's a there's a truly touching moment as yes. Anna comes out to say goodbye. She gives him a hug and a dark blazer, more befitting a prowler. And her her nervousness uh, and her her endearing nature, frankly, does not foretell what happens to her later in the episode. It just it it is earned in and of the moment. Agreed, and you know, did not think they would do something to her didn't think they'd do something to Jarvis either. Um, so to earn that by the end of the episode, certainly a surprise worth having. By the way, Pete speaking, or at least hinting about, uh, the, the injury that, uh, Anna gets this scene wraps up as Peggy, uh, breaks up their hug, carrying a heavy duffel bag because she's totally fine after the injury from two episodes ago. By the way, Pete, quick uh, side question. If Sousa is on the telephone, is it a Sousa phone? No, it is not. But he is asking Vernon Masters in this next scene here. So wait a minute. Uh, Roxon had lost these um, uh, isotopes for uh, more than 48 hours. And now you're coming to us with it. The, the trail's bound to be ice cold but there's a lot of code that's going on here matt and uh all of it subtle that uh you know he believes that that vernon believes that susa is smarter than the people who are currently looking for it that he's got a great story one of sacrifice that you know his next chapter could be even better the time the money the friends washington loves a hero and more importantly they love a good yarn it's it's just a wonderful implicit offer that masters is is giving there uh but susa says he's not a hero nor here to add to his story and uh masters says that he'll keep his expectations cut for close-up realistic and the whole statement pete is filled with ice we cut to five miles outside of chadwick ranch here and there's discussion of dr wilk's success in uh making himself uh, whole again. Um, but uh, Jarvis, who later admits he was simply trying to fill the silence here, gets uh, really kind of admonished by Agent Carter for bringing up the fact that she's got the Wilkes on one hand and the Sousa on the other. Pete, it is wonderful, glowing dialogue, though it's worth noting that it's also writing focused on how Peggy feels about two men, a conversation which is interrupting our agent from, you know, saving the world. Special test failed, I dare say. I, I don't get special test failed. Special. Oh, 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 gotcha. It sounded like special. 
Well, it is a special test, and regardless... Come on, Peggy, save the world. Enough about the guys here. Pete, did you extract any further meaning from this uh, this car ride? I did. I, I like his friendly and and helpful, really, analysis of the predicament that Peggy's in between her blushing um, when uh, Wilkes kissed her to the connection she now has uh, not because he was eavesdropping, but because he had the the bug in his ear during the previous episode, hearing uh, that Violet has called off the engagement here. Uh, she gets very defensive. If you're implying I'm some sort of chippy, um, but uh, points out that she's gone rather from famine to feasts. Uh, and that he is not envious of the decision that she faces here between Wilkes' incandescent smile and Sousa's eyes, and she tells him no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it's earnest and funny at the same time. She never intended to, to have to uh, choose between two quality suitors here and wonderful line. Maybe, Matt, his best line ever in light of this show, he tells her, you underestimate your allure, Miss Carter. I'm not surprised. With that, Pete, they pull off in the middle of the day and arrive at their destination five miles away in the pitch of dark because, you know, Hollywood. Jarvis lurks about his jitterbug in hand, not a metaphor, uh, and he's found by a goon but is, of course, just the distraction while Peggy takes him out with a shotgun butt. 33, 23, 33, 33, 23, 33. It's the numbers, Pete, but for some reason it's not working. And uh, they're quickly apprehended and sent down in the basement with Dottie, act end. We return, curiously, Pete, uh, not with, you know, Agent Carter and Jarvis uh, captured and with a Russian spy, but instead with Jason in his copper box eating splendid Hungarian fare, courtesy of Anna, they salute and Lakaim, and uh, I did not completely understand why we had that scene at that moment, although quickly I will. Yeah, and uh, they're uh, toasting to safe returns conceivably to their loved ones there, definitely on Anna's part, um, with Whitney wanting the information here uh, when we're back in the basement, um, we have uh, Dottie tied up and uh, Peggy and Jarvis now joining her. And Dottie admonishes Peggy for having sent her on a fool's errand and that she has enjoyed a lovely cocktail of sodium amytal, um and also had her teeth uh, threatened by Vernon Masters. Jarvis, meanwhile, is still fixated on those numbers, 33, 23, 33, as he's attempting to get out. Peggy wants to know what Dottie told them, not a thing. She then slips her right hand loose, and she tells Peggy, you better hurry up if I get loose before you do. There's no telling what I'll do. Um, Anna, back at Stark Manor, uh, with the meal she's enjoying with Jason, uh, explains that if she has too much wine, she will suddenly become very honest. Uh, Wilkes points out he's not going anywhere. 
but uh, she confesses here that uh, Edwin had told her of the damage, but uh, it was the lies that, you know, kept her from really worrying. She misses the lies here, Matt, as they celebrate with $400 bottles of wine. You know, why not cry in a $1,000 bottle of wine? Sounds like a fantastic geek recording session, Pete. Back we go to Whitney's basement. It's the battling basements, Pete. Jarvis continues to babble the 33-23-33. And, uh, hey, Pete, it turns out that 34-24-34, that's totally different. 33-23-33 is the auto-detonate, which it does, right on cue. And they're out in a largely unguarded compound. Let's point out, though, what these are. The the combinations were dimensions of Hollywood actresses that Stark has bedded. <laughs> the, the erroneous one being um, Barbara Stanwyck. What does Barbara Stanwyck do? That's the delayed detonation uh, code. The... Um, right code was carol lombard which was 34 24 34 matt honest mistake <laughs> it certainly is it, it would be difficult to keep to keep the difference clear in one's mind um but it is at this point pete revealed that it was not just a trap for peggy but rather a trap for jason now it makes sense pete that we started the act with jason because that is where the the action is headed uh, the story returns to Stark Manor, where Whitney attacks all by herself. Um, and a drunk Anna doesn't note the security system for what it is. Um, then Whitney's downstairs, noting all of Stark's fiddling for things with a uh, palladium core. Gee, I wonder if that'll stay in the family. <laughs> um, and Whitney monologues for a bit and says uh, that the last time she saw uh, Jason, it was quite an evening. Pete, it's the stuff of act breaks. And the act breaks. It broke the act. After the act break, Pete Wilkes is still in his cage, and Whitney is impressed with the design of that cage. And there really is some great camera work here on Whitney as she talks of the wonders of zero matter and her wide eyes making the most of the purple light. Really just nice acting, nice camera work, nice framing of the whole thing. And Whitney wonders what will happen if Wilkes walks out of his cage. Um, she connects him with a zero matter next to him with a zero matter blast kind of rather like some sort of uh woman with a spider web if you will pete if you can imagine <laughs> such a thing a black uh, web yeah in, indeed a, a venom you might say and pete how does he take it oh he takes it well and uh you know she says later she's not going to lie that it's stung a little how did you do it he has no idea um, but he's stronger now. He's able to come out of the contraption. She wants him to go with her, uh, that they can attempt to understand and control the zero matter together. They could change the world, but he thinks it's fine as it is. And the subtext here, Matt, that she explains you were really recruited the same way Jane Scott was recruited. Uh, these are uh affirmative action situations long before such a thing even existed that uh you know he might be scrubbing toilets or shining shoes elsewhere and then you know what makes the scene better but a little joey manfredi hey yo on the heels of you know really that that, that biting dialogue there about him 
him being uh, a token hired Isodyne. It's a Ben Freddy. He, of course, adding to the to to, to the the cruel cuts here. Uh, upon seeing a black scientist, he says he's seen everything now, and. Unfortunately, Jason, he is a man of science. He's not a he's not a fighting man because when he squares his shoulders to man Freddy, that of course is all the opening Whitney needs to clock the former over the head. Yes, we have uh Anna witnessing them carrying um Wilkes out after she has phoned Susa that uh something's going on. Uh, Sousa is then attacked by two masked men who it's not quite clear at that moment whether they're related to this plot. But Pete, um, they, they they say you want to be a hero. Yes. That's that's the oh it's it's Pete. This has got the 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 the, the claws of Vernon Masters all over it. Right. Um, Anna, meanwhile, has a gun pulled on her by Manfredi. Whitney grabs it. She says, no, this is unnecessary, that they are not monsters. She said the thing, Matt. <gasps> she said the name of the episode. Hooray! <laughs> but that they need answers here. They can't slow down. Um, but maybe they can slow Peggy and Jarvis down. And uh, she shows the monster she is. She shoots Anna right in the gut to end the act. We return from the act break with Jarvis's car pulling up to the apparent rooftop ER. Uh, Peggy flashes her bag and tells the officer on duty to not let Dottie out of the trunk. Not Boy, I to sure her. hope he listens. Absolutely. Chekhov's trunk girl. Uh, in the hospital, Jarvis is unresponsive as his wife is taken just far enough for that point in all Hollywood hospitals where the nurse tells him he can't go any further. Oh, and a cop has been shot because Dottie is gone. Yes, uh, the the necklace is down as well. Um, we flip across town to the Auerbach Talent Agency, the front for the SSR, and Sousa limps more than normal up the stairs here, holding his left side. Um Vernon Masters is there, and he asks if he had a rough night. Uh, Seuss explains there was a crime. Uh, and again, the code, Matt, really drops away that, uh, you know, leading the, the Roxxon investigation, he hasn't found a thing here. It's a shame. It's a shame for everyone involved. He needs a long rest, and Vernon tells him he is taking over the SSRLA until... Uh, Sousa is back on his feet. We go back to uh, the hospital where Peggy uh, calls and Vernon picks up, in which she hangs up. She goes back and sits next to Jarvis, who explains they have told him that Anna is still in surgery. They can't even say if she'll. And then Peggy holds his hand. Indeed, with that, they fade to the title card, the episode over, a grim future indeed what lunkheads deserve some time in the joint this list of baddies will tell us just that pete where should we start let's start with whitney frost matt takes it to another level with the cold calculating press conference all the way through it's not even an interrogation of dotty it's uh other dimension, uh, you know, 
extraction, if you will, uh, apart from the fact that uh, Dottie absconds and may have some of this zero matter in her, courtesy of this incursion? Perhaps. I think it'll be interesting to see how they how they take it there. But uh, regardless, I love this seven-episode uh, elevation of Whitney to truly uh, kind of terror terrifying means here it's really been a nice uh nice arc that this villain has been on yes from there we go to dotty who you know has has been out of several episodes and to come back and to come back with a vengeance albeit to vanish by the end of this episode but uh full credit matt to bridget regan taking this character who was good last season to you know the highest of highs there's no question that it's not just Bridget Regan. The entire show uh, has elevated over last season, but she is just uniquely wonderful. Bridget Regan is just bringing this sweet satanic character to life. Somehow she's able to find the middle point between those two ends and the character sings from it. And Vernon Masters, we've talked about Kurtwood Smith, the, the venerable, um, experienced actor here who... You know, in two scenes with uh, Sousa really spells things out for him. Yeah, he's just playing so many notes in this in this episode uh, that that kind of kindly paternal uh, aspect is new to him uh, in this show. <laughs> Ironically, well known for playing an, an unkindly paternal type. Uh, but it's, I mean, it is just astonishing what Kurtwood Smith brings to this show. It, I'm not sure much else can be said other than, than the astonishment of his great acting abilities. And mobster Joseph Manfredi, a necessary evil Matt, uh, wasn't sure we'd see as much of him as we did in this episode. I'm I'm glad we got what we did. Uh, as mentioned before, there is a slightly kind of you know period esque uh, stereotype to him, but it's fun. He's wonderful. Uh, I appreciate his uh, first scene that we got with the you know a couple episodes ago with the smashing of the goon's face and all that. It's all the more to know that this is a character who comes with uh, a vicious side, who comes with a threat, and. Uh, I look forward to more of uh, Mr. Manfredi in the remaining episodes. Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel. Time to take a gander with the G-Men. Don't want you to know, Pete. Where should our secrets begin? Let's begin at the end, Matt. Will Anna Jarvis make it through? I, I'm going to say yes just on pure faith because I would be heartbroken to to lose her from the narrative i don't know that much is gained um i i don't know that we need jarvis to now have his you know i will go with you to alderaan i have nothing here <laughs> kind of moment like he's presumably going to continue to be the stalwart butler slash agent when necessary uh person that he is and and i, I hope they don't kill her off that would be awful I hope they don't. I suspect that they won't, but I kind of uh, would like to see what it would do for the character. Uh, if I were in the writing room, I would strongly advocate for it to change Jarvis's arc. I don't think a close call 
would change him enough dramatically for these last couple episodes in season two that the death could change him. I mean, he could become a completely different character. We know where this guy's end point is. He is the beloved butler who will be the namesake for this artificial intelligence. But if it's a tragic tale, Matt, I think it takes on that much greater resonance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm going to look to a slightly smaller scale. I'm going to say that Anna living then becomes the uh, home bliss slash secret agent life uh, dichotomy that Peggy is looking for, nay, that Sousa is looking for. So the possibility there of the two of them getting together um, and ending this season, perhaps this series, on a happy note for Agent Carter, uh, following the example of of the uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Jarvis. Let's talk zero matter, and I have two things to point to with that. The first is the... Uh, erratic, even angry Jason Wilkes when he says that there are much uh, worse things than death, talking about the zero matter. And later, Matt, what happened with Dottie? Does she still have it in her here on the lamb? Uh, I'm going to say no to Dottie, but let's use these next three episodes uh, to really explore the depths of zero matter to explore its connection to to doctor strange and to to other realms and that sort of thing now is the time in this final third of this season to really to really let that stuff uh kind of you know out in rip-roaring fashion jason is untethered now from from his uh kind of uh ghostly sidelines that he's been on so he can be more of a of an active uh character and i'm really looking forward to it in these uh, final two weeks, three episodes. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us uh, the Twitter. And Pete, open that envelope. Who have we heard from? We have a tweet here from Jeff John Cox at J-J-N-A-D-O, J.J. Nado, and he writes in, he asks, think TV networks take into account Twitter trends and ratings evaluations by now? Hashtag Agent Carter. Well, Pete, I think the answer in general is no. Uh, they are, of course, TV networks. They're in the ad business. Sizzle, I think, counts for something, but I don't think tv networks know how to quantify twitter i also don't i mean th th that's that certainly is part of it there's there's a reason that for shows particularly live shows um hashtags will come up so that they can measure some of that but i don't think in hollywood they they fully understand where things are at and pete it, it factors into um some other responses we got on Twitter about the the low, navy, softly, slowly declining ratings, live ratings of the show. Uh, Tony W. with the fantastic name Abe Froman, except the, the E is a three and the O is a zero. Um, he says, I hope the DVR numbers are much better. Uh, Mary Kirk saying, this just makes me sad, these low numbers. I know many people watch it, but none of them watch live. 
and uh, Crystal Lee Young on Twitter saying that the ratings are not cool. The show is fantastic. I watch it live and DVR it to watch it again. DVR numbers are part of the equation, um, but I, I I worry, Pete, that the low live numbers coupled with perhaps low DVR numbers make things challenging for the future. I'll tackle the first part uh, about the uh, Twitter activity. The closest thing we've seen um, decided as far as Hollywood with Twitter has really been casting decisions. We know that agents have uh, pointed to uh, a potential actor or actress's Twitter following as being a sign that they are more of a draw than someone else. And that has broken ties, if you will, when it comes to casting. As far as the fate of a series, you know, we're, we're at a point where uh, live tweeting with uh, the viewing certainly factors into um, the interaction online, you know, whether it's watching Better Call Saul and, and, and having the cast interact with you or Cinnabon uh, featured prominently in uh, that season premiere episode, you know, getting in on the action. So, you know, you talk about ads and, and corporate interaction there. Uh, when uh, an advertiser is is dropped product placement but um, there's no precedent that it has done anything to pull up sagging ratings if you care about this show you need to watch it live uh, every week without fail and it wouldn't hurt probably to DVR it as well and maybe rewatch it because they check those numbers too. Clouds are on the horizon, Pete, but uh, I suppose time will tell. We'll, we'll stay true blue to the show. And uh, with that Pete transition from the, 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 the grim news to more sparkly stuff, you're practically a person of glitterati fame. How could people be in touch with you? You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,074 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on the Twitters looking back lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's Fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the dot com, or tweet us your telegraphs on the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH. You go on there, you click the little like button, and we'll never be that far away. Indeed, don't forget, Fantastic Geek is the way to go. With that, I'll say goodbye, good night, good luck to one and all, and peace. With what wacky words will you close tonight? You have nothing in that little box that will do anything but bore me to tears.